Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Thursday, 7th of September, and we're going to be discussing the Strategic Petroleum Reserve after a question from one of our wonderful listeners. Joining me in the studio is Motley Fool Canada Premium Analyst, Taylor Muckerman. Taylor, thank you very much for joining me today. Absolutely. Are you refreshed? Yeah. From the long, <laughs> the my, long, long My weekend. lack of labor over the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> it was wonderful. Yeah. Um, so, uh, as I said, today we're going to be talking about the uh, SPR, but um, really the reason that we're talking about that is because of the sheer extent of the damage from Hurricane Harvey. Um, and we're going to be kind of covering the SPR and its role during these emergency situations. Mm-hmm. So, Harvey, thankfully, it's now passed, uh, although we were just talking about this, and there's another three hurricanes apparently yes. out there <laughs> getting ready. Um so uh, Harvey dumped about 50 inches of rain on uh, parts of Texas and Louisiana. Um, sadly, it took the lives of 42 people and left 40,000 40, homes damaged. So some serious implications of this. Um, it's been truly terrible for Texas. Just awful images in the media depicting terrible devastation. And as so often happens in these times of crisis, some really wonderful stories of some really brave people. Yes. Um, I saw a great one about a people forming like a, a human line to save a woman who was in labor oh, from wow. the flood water, which is just incredible. That's a story to tell your kids in a few it's years. It's true. Yeah. Babies won't wait. That's yeah. the thing. Um, Texan residents and business owners are obviously left to survey the damage, uh, long-term impact, preliminarily preliminary esp- estimates sorry uh, put my teeth in um for the cost of recovery are at 190 billion dollars and that figure uh, yeah that would yeah. make this the costliest natural disaster in u.s history so taylor part of the reason for this i i think is the concentration of u.s oil producing and refining mm-hmm. uh industry uh five of the largest u.s oil refineries are on the texas and louisiana gulf coast yes. two of the largest refineries are near houston what will they be? What's the aftermath of this? What are they going to be dealing with now? Well, so yeah, you've got the Lake Charles uh, area, big for refining. The Corpus Christi area, big for refining. Um, Corpus Christi is almost back to pre-Harvey levels. Um, they expect you know a few more days they'll be able to um, be quite near fully online. And uh, you look at about 20% of the nation's refining capacity was shut down. So that's a big deal. And as a result, you've seen uh, gas prices spike the most since Hurricane Katrina. Um, average price for regular unleaded up 33 cents uh, yep. nationwide, up to 265 for the average. So uh, people are feeling it. And that's going to probably last for several weeks, uh, especially as you see, like we mentioned, other hurricanes mm-hmm. potentially on the way. Um, BP is already evacuating some of its Gulf platforms ahead of Hurricane Irma. So uh, certainly still some some risk out there for higher prices. Um, Chemical industry still offline as well. A lot of the ethylene production that they need to uh, produce plastics is is offline. So you you see not only gasoline, oil, and and chemicals all all impacted, and it's going to take a while for the supply chains for these to to kick back in. Yeah. I read somewhere that... um the flooding has been kind of the biggest issue that they've had to deal with. It's kind of dangerous mm-hmm. sometimes, especially fracking, right? If they get water in the wells to yes. to start up again. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and the other thing that people have got to consider is there's, uh, the EPA is investigating potentially ha- hazardous um, carcinogenics in the, in the area as a result of some of the kind of explosions that we saw that mm-hmm. took a lot of the media that may not be a huge, um, you know, impact on those companies, mm-hmm. but on the people around they definitely will. Well, um, 
the reason that we're kind of touching on this is because at the end of last week, uh, the 31st of August, Energy Secretary Rick Perry announced that the Department of Energy is releasing oil from its strategic petroleum reserve in an attempt to mitigate some of this disruption that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. This authorized the release of 500,000 barrels to Phillips 66 refinery in uh, Lake Charles. Um, this is the first emergency release from the SPR since Hurricane Isaac hit Louisiana in 2012. We got a great question from a listener on Twitter asking, what are the implications and impact of this? Um, but first, I thought it might be worth touching on what exactly the SPR is. Uh, yeah. So, Taylor. <laughs> yeah, so um, basically, it's just, it, uh, our nation's kind of fallback plan if, if oil imports either get disrupted or we necessarily have to cut off oil imports uh, for any diplomatic reasons. Um, and, and so we've, I think we've got about 140 some odd days mm -hmm. of uh, technically U.S. demand for gasoline or oil, um, which would then be probably used for gasoline and other things to keep the nation running uh, for almost half a year. So uh, you tap this every now and then. It hasn't been tapped in a few years. I think President Obama did it uh, at least once during his term, his two terms as president. Um, I don't think it's necessarily anything to get in an uproar about. It's only 500,000 barrels in this case out of uh, a few hundred million, 700 million, I believe, uh, just north of that. So, uh, and, and we're at peak capacity right now in terms yep. of how much oil is actually in the SPR. So it's not like we're starting from a position of weakness yep. letting this out. And uh, in this case, Phillips 66 is the company that tapped it for 500,000 barrels, and they do have to refill it. And then some, uh, once once the the term, I guess, of the agreement. I haven't seen exactly how long they have to replace mm -hmm. this, but uh, I imagine it's not immediate. And and for the company itself, you look at it, and uh, I think that they're, the refinery that they're using this oil at is completely online. So we already talked about high gas prices. So maybe just trying to take advantage of the fact that they still can refine some oil. And this is in Lake Charles. They do have other refineries that aren't completely online. Um, so maybe just trying to take advantage of some higher margins right now. Interesting. Um, and you mentioned that this was to kind of protect the U.S. from um, international issues. And mm -hmm. I, I think that's how uh, they they started the SPR was they became a founding member of the International Energy Agency after mm -hmm. um, the oil embargo by OPEC in the seventies. Yes. Um, obviously, it's a very different environment now, so right. it's, that kind of raises a lot of questions that we'll touch on later. Yeah, but we're producing near record oil yeah. in the United <laughs> States, which uh, I mean, we were definitely producing oil back then as well. But um, I think there's a much clear path to uh, U.S. Sus sustaining its own oil production if need be. Yeah. Um, and so you touched on this, but in this instance, this is a, an exchange, which basically means that the borrower, in this case, Phillips, mm -hmm. uh, is loaned the barrels. So they must return the same amount back to the reserves, the same quality of oil, um, plus extra as interest. Mm -hmm. um, so Phillips must have requested this exchange, as you said, because they're probably taking the advantage of the greater crack spread. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, should investors be concerned about them servicing this loan? Is it an issue to return, uh, you know, make good on that loan? No, I don't think, I think it's a small enough amount to where, um, as an investor, it's, you know, kind of maybe encouraging to see management trying all options to keep yep. to keep uh, capacity and their inputs coming in because a lot of the pipelines in that area were disrupted. So 
not only uh, have we seen production be impacted, but even the production in the oil fields that are still running, it's having a hard time making it to the to the endpoints here in the refineries along the Gulf Coast, just because not only were the refineries impacted, but the the, feed, the feeding pipelines yeah. were as well. So yeah, the, and a lot of the ports, uh, can't, I can't remember the term for it, but they're essentially filled with silt now. So, yeah, yeah. So they have to be excavated. They got to go be dredged, probably. Dredged, yeah, that's and it. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and so we'll, we'll wait to see that because that Gulf area is the hub for all of the mm-hmm. oil exports that we've seen ramp up over the last couple of years since we since we released that uh, limit on U.S. oil exportations. Yeah, which is incredible when you think of how vulnerable that area is to... Yeah. Well, I, I know every, every area has its thing, mm-hmm. uh, has its has its risks, but... Um, yes, yeah, as far west as this one went was kind of a surprise maybe yeah. to a lot of people because, yeah, the mid to, mid to eastern region of the Gulf usually gets hit, you know, almost on a yearly basis, but mm-hmm. as far west as Houston... Kind of a shock there. Yeah, it's, it's new to me. We yeah. don't have hurricanes. <laughs> we have a lot of rain, but not yeah. hurricanes. Um, so I think, I think like you, you've said this um, already, but talking about how serious this is and what the impact is, I think it's just important to remember that the reserves are tapped during natural disasters. It, it's very usual. And mm-hmm. as you said, 500,000 is nothing uh, compared to how it has been. 2008, Hurricane Gustav, um, Gustav and Hurricane Ike. They reduced the levels by 5.4 mm-hmm. million barrels. 2005, Hurricane Katrina, 20.8 million barrels. So this, uh, there is a precedent for this. Um, we shouldn't be too concerned. Um, yeah, I mean, when you look at 500,000 barrels and we're producing 9 million barrels per day like yep. uh, as a country, um, not exactly something to, to, worry to about. Get, in, get in a fuss about. Um, which kind of leads on to my next question. Uh, the SPR has been in, is often in the news when natural disasters happen, but last year it was in the news. Um, not concerning a disaster, the Energy Department released a report and it said uh, the SPR was increasingly ineffective due to aging infrastructure and a booming domestic oil industry. Mm-hmm. The report essentially said that the complex infrastructure is getting too old to function efficiently. They need money from Congress to fix it. Most of the critical infrastructure for moving crude within the SPR has exceeded its serviceable life. Um, so they didn't paint a great picture of kind of the infrastructure yeah. there. Um, uh, but the thing that I kind of think is interesting is whether large reserves are needed in the U.S. Uh, since the recent oil boom. Uh, oil boom. Um, the rules of the IEA were, were made when the U.S. wasn't uh, mm-hmm. producing as much. So what do you make of that? Well, I mean... Certainly, when you look at you know the inventory, we just saw crude oil inventories rise by almost three million barrels. So um, that's not necessarily 270 million barrels like we see in the in the SPR, but at the same time, um, I don't think it's it's nice to have. Yeah. And we're not the only country that has one. China Mm -hmm. has one that I believe is much larger than ours, and uh, that's actually as they've started to build that and and maintain it, it was actually a a pretty nice little driver for demand in the oil markets because here you are filling this vast reserves without uh, without even using it. So it's just like a a sudden increase in demand, but we've seen that kind of taper off. So um, not the only country that has it. It's not not not, nothing special, but uh, I think it's just nice to have. But yeah, just kind of interesting. Um, I didn't realize that they were worried about necessarily the quality of the crude within within the salt caverns. because you're right, yeah, it's not in its original formation. So technically, oil is you know several thousands of years old. Uh, so you wouldn't think that a few more years in a different area would impact it. But certainly, you could imagine that 
it's not in such a high pressure environment. Um, it's not nearly as far down into the earth anymore, and it has been extracted. So maybe there's some some changes going on there. Uh, I have to worry about the quality, which I never would have considered. Yeah, and they're they're kept in salt caverns. Mm -hmm. Um, which are probably the best way that you could keep it because, you know, the salt's impervious, it's, mm -hmm. it is far down, there is some pressure. Um, but as you said, yeah, there's just, it, it's not in its natural state. Right, and that's, uh, the salt caverns is also where a lot of companies will store their wastewater mm -hmm. that, they, that they inject into fracking wells or, um, or things like that, or they'll store some, some nat spare natural gas that's instead of flaring it. So mm -hmm. the salt caverns are used for uh, very many reasons. Yeah, and... Um, I mean, I, th I think it's as part of this debate over over whether we should have one or we, sh we shouldn't. I think it would be stupid for us to, to not have one uh, as a country. Um, and also, if you think about it, if you think about kind of the economics of it, mm -hmm. I think the per barrel cost is twenty seven dollars. Uh, yeah. Which e even now at the depressed value is, is a good good price. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and a lot of the exchanges that they do, it's a great way of getting high quality, uh, very well priced oil mm -hmm. um, for the rest of the for the u.s citizens essentially sure. um and the other thing to factor in is that lawmakers are beginning to see the oil reserves as almost a piggy bank um they congress tapped uh the oil res reserves for funds twice last year so mm -hmm. it, it may be something that we start to see happen more but possibly not in these in this environment yeah i mean if you think that we're strong enough as a producing country now to where maybe there's a little bit more flexibility there uh versus um, in the early 2000s, before the fracking boom really kicked in, um, you, you can see a steady decline from the mid-70s um, up until really, yeah, the steady decline from really 1970-71 to 2005 of oil production in the United States, and then just straight up and to the right mm -hmm. in terms of growth. Maybe almost not even straight up to the right, almost just straight up from 2005 until, until the present. So... Um, assuaging a little bit of fears. Okay. So the bottom line for this is it sounds like a concerning issue. It sounds like a big thing. Yeah, strategic o yeah, petroleum reserves. Or, yeah, that's right. Um, but it's, it's really not. It's no. not a big deal. Um, and I guess everybody's going to be keeping their eye on the next three hurricanes. Yeah, it's interesting, though. I, I don't remember a, a time where a specific company was able to request some oil or, or make this exchange. Um, I think the... Last time, last few times, it was just the country releasing some oil into the general market, mm -hmm. uh, probably in an auction uh, format. So, kind of interesting to see maybe if that happens again in the future, where a specific company is almost loaned oil, essentially. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like you said, they're probably they're taking advantage of the situation. Yeah, for sure. And the U.S. is taking advantage of the fact that we now have this glut mm -hmm. uh, in production, so that we can do that to kind of leverage our position, yeah. which is great to see. I mean, it's a good use of that uh, material, I think. Um, so. Taylor, as always, yep. thank you for being awesome uh, and shedding light <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on the issue. No doubt. Um, What's up next week? Uh, next week is airlines. Oh, so right on. I, okay. I don't know if anybody managed to catch the bonus episode that we did. Uh, it went out on Saturday over the holiday weekend. Mm -hmm. uh, but we talked about how we want to broaden the scope of the show. Mm -hmm. uh, so next week, we're trying to deliver on that promise. So we're going to do uh, which of the big four U.S. Uh, national airline companies is the better buy right yeah, now? Yeah, those have been some pretty good stocks over the last couple of years. They have. I mean, historically, people have avoided them like the plague. Yeah, but, um, some consolidation in that area has, yeah, some, has boosted some stock prices. Yeah, I'm nerdy, so I think that that's uh, fascinating. Yeah. But we'll, we'll see if anybody else finds it interesting. Well, once Buffett charges in, you got to expect exactly. something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now there's uh, now everybody wants in. Mm -hmm. But um, Taylor, thank you very, very much. You 
as always you've been wonderfully knowledgeable um, so that's it from us today if you would like to get in touch please feel free to email us at industryfocus@fool.com or tweet us on twitter at mfindustryfocus as always people in the program may own companies discussed on the show and the motley fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear for taylor i'm sarah priestley thanks for listening and fool on Thank you.